Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Full Circle Podcast. I'm your host, Jillian McMichael, and if you're tuning in for the first time, I'm thrilled to have you here. This season, we're exploring the theme of trust and how having it or not having it can impact how we lead our lives. As we continue our exploration into trust, I'm pleased to have the lovely Kerry McLeod, an evidential medium and transformational coach on the show today. I'm fascinated by the topic of life after death and how the belief in an unseen world can bring comfort to those experiencing grief. Kerry has been aware of the spirit world since she was a young girl, but began developing her mediumship about 25 years ago with formal mediumship training, psychotherapy and counselling studies. She believes that there is a world after death and her purpose is to act as the voice for those who no longer have a physical voice. Kerry supports those who are working through grief and loss by helping them trust that an unseen world exists without the factual scientific proof that so many crave. If you're curious about reincarnation, life after death or spiritual unfoldment, I invite you to tune into this enlightening conversation. I'm certain that Kerry's wisdom will give you a better understanding of the spiritual journey so many embark on after losing a loved one and the comfort that trust in the spirit world can bring. So welcome to the Full Circle Finding Your Way Home podcast. Today we are talking about trust after death. And today I've got the wonderful Kerry McLeod with me who's going to talk to us a little bit more about this subject matter. Kerry is an evidential medium and transformational coach. So welcome Kerry to the conversation. Thank you for asking me to speak with you. It's lovely to be here. I'm really glad you are and I'm very glad that we're having this conversation today because trusting that there's something more after death is something that I've always been fascinated with and I know so many others are too. So I thought as a starting point, how would you feel about just sharing a little bit more around the work that you do? Sure. So I've been interested in mediumship for about 30 years but started developing a mediumship about 25 years ago. And in that time, there's been lots of experiences that have culminated in me moving to do mediumship in the way that I am now. As you know, I I trained with Full Circle for transformational coaching, and that just added to the toolkit that I was using. Even then, I was unaware of really how it would manifest together. And so for me, it is about giving an unseen world a voice, I don't have a want to know. I absolutely believe that there's a world after death. It's just we can't see them or hear them. So what I do is be that voice for those who no longer have the physical voice to use. And that brings comfort, it brings healing, and it brings an understanding. And for me, mediumship is actually about planting the seed that allows other people to start their own spiritual journey. Because it's often when somebody passes to what I would call the spirit world, that their own journey begins. And so part of my work is not necessarily training mediums, but speaking with people who want a further understanding about 
how to reconcile this unseen world, this unproven, scientifically unproven place and allow them to go on trusting rather than factual and scientific proof. So in terms of the work that you do, what made you follow this path in the first instance? What got you engaged in this kind of work? This was, it started around about 1996 when, for me, I entered a spiritualist church not really knowing what was there or what I might find. But it caught my curiosity because I have a very scientific mind. I have a mind that questions, that wants to understand, that wants to break things down and then build them back up into an understanding of my own. And so the more I learned, the more questions I had. And that's just the type of thing that's going to keep me interested. So as I began to understand more, I began to question. And some people want to find a truth and then believe that truth, whereas I would encourage everybody that their truth is what's individual to them. So there was this um, unfolding process within me that took place that absolutely took me to an understanding that there was something else there. And as my journey unfolded, there was unquestionable evidence from my part. I had to question, am I a little bit unsteady within my own mind that I'm hearing and seeing these things that other people can accept? Or is there something out there that I'm speaking for? That sparked my curiosity. And then the questions that were unanswered about reincarnation, about life after death, about spiritual unfoldingment, about this thing called new age, which none of which I've ever come to an understanding of because I've come to my own understanding. And I've found that incredibly empowering for me. And that's what I like to share with other people is to create that curiosity that allows them to find their own truth because it's only in finding somebody's own truth that they can actually come to terms with trusting it. Mm, yeah. And, you know, obviously grieving, certainly when you've lost a member of your family or somebody close to you, is really difficult and we all experience grief in different ways and I know that the grieving process can take a long time and shouldn't be necessarily rushed. So I'm wondering how do you support those who are then coming to you for that connection or or understanding like you said that curiosity maybe there is more or maybe they want to reconnect with those that they may have lost? Yeah people come for a number of reasons for a reading or to speak to me and when they do in that moment I'm able to sense what place they're in. If somebody is in deep grief, actually the farthest thing from the right thing that they need is a reading. Because if somebody's in deep grief, we people can often get caught in a place where they feel a reading is going to in some way diminish the pain or remove the process of grieving. And in actual fact, it doesn't do anything like that. It can actually create incredibly and painful experiences because it doesn't replace, it's not managing the expectations properly. So if somebody's in deep grief, what I would normally do is have a chat with them and explain the process of grieving. People understand grief as a, as a cycle where you start at one part, you work your way through and you end up coming out the other side. And in some ways that's correct, but in other ways it's not. Because if it were that simple, then the pain would, would, over a period of time, dissipate and disappear. 
But what we know is people's pain of grief often encourages it to um, be really painful at certain times. So if we've got times where we are lonely or tired or unwell, the grief can be overpowering to the point where it's so painful and that can be years after the spirit, the person has moved to the spirit world. So we have to allow the person to understand that although it is a cycle, there's going to be blips in there where the pain will be as sharp, maybe a year or two or three after the event, as it does in that moment. And once they understand that the frustration, the anger, the sadness, the depression, the denial, the happiness is often the hardest emotion to accept, being happy whilst in grief. Um, once people understand that that's all part of the journey, sometimes it's permission to allow things and that's where we can move into um, a coaching scenario where we're coaching people forward through the grief not to ignore, not to deny, not to counsel through. Grief counselling is something completely different and often very necessary. But coaching through grief is when the person's ready to move on but they're just a bit stuck. And often that is a conversation that they need as opposed to a private reading or counselling or sitting in their own space or well-meaning family and friends. Mm. Yeah. And so when somebody does come for a reading, when they're ready and it's the right time for them, I know you can't break confidentiality, but what kind of experience can somebody expect from that? And maybe there isn't an answer to that, but I just wondered if you could share some insights on that with those that are listening. When somebody comes for a reading, they can often be looking for something that's beyond expectations. So I always have that conversation with somebody in the early part of the reading is about managing expectations that first of all, the spirit person, the loved one in the spirit world might not turn up. It might just be too soon for the person that's in front of me, not for the person who's passed. There might all, I also have the conversation with them about what they're expecting in terms of from me. Because often people will have this understanding that it's like plugging in a telephone line and it's a two-way conversation with um, full descriptions and full names and unfortunately, I wish it was, but unfortunately it isn't. So we have to understand the process of mediumship and then once we get into that place, people will often come with their own understandings. So for many, a reading is about prediction, whereas a true spiritual reading will have no prediction in there. I'm very strong in the philosophy about empowering people. My coaching um, hat has to come into everything that I do because it's what I believe in. So when I'm giving somebody a private reading, I'm allowing the, the spirit communicator to say what they want to say, but not to be expecting them to give answers. If they do, I never hold back. But often the loved one won't come in and say, you know what I'd say or you know what you want to do, or you know you've got an answer in your mind that you're just too scared to step forward and put into action, in which case we enter into a different kind of conversation. So people come for readings and there is this expectation or misunderstanding about predictions and prescribing and what evidential mediumship is, being happy with, I've got your mum here, but 
no description or understanding or no sharing about facts or emotional parts of their personality. A good evidential reading should be around about, then a half hour one, should be around about 20 minutes of evidence about the spirit person. And then towards the end, the spirit person will want to share their thoughts or if they have any words of advice, whether the person here would listen to them in life is the same, we have to apply the same rules. And I often say to somebody, if you would listen to your mum when she was here, then by all means take on her words from the unseen world. But if you wouldn't take on your mum's advice, then please know she's going to give the same advice as she would before. And that in itself is evidential. So there can be a misconception out there, but for me, there is, there's a, a true essence of something greater than us. There's a true touch of something more powerful than us. And there is a love that's brought into the room that doesn't come from me. It comes directly from an unseen world and the loved one of the person that's in front of me. I would imagine as I'm listening to you there, this sense of comfort that can come with some of those conversations that you have with your clients and the spirits that come through. But I'm kind of wondering, do people get quite either upset or scared by some of the things that come through when you're working with people? They can get a little bit surprised or upset at the evidence. When somebody comes for a reading and they're not really expecting much because there's an awful lot of mediums out there who are not doing the job of the medium completely as it should be. So when they come and they get the evidence, often it can trigger an incredible amount of pain and grief um, and a, a myriad of other emotions. Often if the person in the spirit world has an apology to make, that's the place they're going to make it. But first they have to share what they now know they did, how they know it affected the person that's coming for the reading, and then to offer an apology. And it's done in a way that it's undeniable. I feel it, it's felt in the room. That can sometimes bring a great, immense level of healing for the person. It can also stir anger in the person coming for the reading because they're not ready for that forgiveness and not ready to give that because they're stuck in grief. So it can stir up an awful lot and that's when the medium's job has to be very careful about the way that they deliver the evidence and the way they're able to look after um, the person that comes for the reading because yes, we work for the spirit world, but we're also absolutely accountable and responsible for the way we deliver the evidence and how it lands for the other person. So we've got to really look after the interests of both people. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, I can see that. And that sense of evidence that you're offering, can, can you give an example of what that might be? Yeah, usually um, it will depend on the person. So if somebody is very factual in life and they are not very good at emotions, and they're, they're very detailed, then they will normally come through with factual, detailed, non-emotional evidence. So it will be names and places and facts and what they did as a job and where they went to. If the person that's passed was a very emotional person and had lots of beautiful memories and really spent time getting to know the person that comes for the reading, 
their, their evidence is going to be more of the emotional type. So it might be about the relationship, it might be about memories, it might be about um, the time that they sat at the end of their life and knew that their daughter or son or loved one was there with them holding their hand whilst they couldn't communicate. It might be about how they were so strong at the funeral. It could be about, remember when we went on holiday and we walked down a beach that's nearby and I mean, my mind can be taken to a place in the country or now, now that I'm global, we can a place around the world and be taken down that beach and be experiencing with the spirit person as they share their memory with me, it becomes real for me. And then all I'm doing really is sharing that experience. So there can be names, there can be facts. The con I was doing a reading yesterday and dad and mum came in and dad talked about how he owned his own garage, um, how his contract um, manager was his brother, who's now in the spirit world as well, how his name was James and the brother was William, how that garage was in Pennsylvania um, and how there was this beautiful relationship within the family. And then dad talked for that for a while and then mum came in and was talking about the specific scones that she baked with cinnamon and raisins in them. And now I wouldn't put cinnamon and raisins in a scone, but this mum did and how she actually had for a while a bakery and this um, daughter that come for a reading went to the bakery and could remember it. And what it proved, proved was um, that mum and dad were here because they were giving evidence about them. And then mum said, you've been baking scones but you got the recipe wrong, you missed out the raisins and you wondered why they were a bit dry. And at that point the daughter just burst into tears, happy tears I have to say, because the grieving process had um, moved on from that first instance. And there was that sense of, my goodness, they really are here, they really are about. And what I explain to people is, is not to Think about the loved ones being way up in a place, way up in heaven, and then coming on a bus or a car or something out for a visit. They actually are here, it's worlds within worlds. So I would postulate, are we living in the unseen world of the spirit? Or is the spirit living in the, uns in the physical world of us? Now, I don't know the answer to that, but I. I'm not dying to get there too soon, but I can't wait to find out because what I do know is it's not that we suddenly become aware of the spirit world. It's as we open our sensitivities and our understandings, we begin to um, perceive things. I mean, if, we, if I were to say to somebody, just because ultraviolet light or infrared, we can't see it, therefore it doesn't exist. We know that's not correct. The spirit world live in the realms out with our, our um, human sight and our human hearing. And what I love to do is to prove that that world is there because it does bring such comfort and create a seed of interest that then starts another spiritual journey. It's interesting as you're talking because it just reminds me of a time when I had a similar experience and it was my grandma that came through to talk with me and 
she described all the different kitchens that I'd been in since all the houses that I'd had and owned and the kitchens that I'd been in. And it was quite remarkable because it does give you a huge sense of comfort to know that they're with you, they're still part of your life. And I think that's, for me, it brought great comfort and a real sense of settling knowing that actually that connection was still there. But I know other people look for more specific signs, don't they? So beyond working with somebody like yourself, there are people who might look for white feathers or other things that might think, oh, these are signs that people are around. And I just wondered what your thoughts are on those. There are a number of different degrees to which we can trust that. If there is things like feathers and coins and numbers, Because I like to rule out the rational first, that's what I would do. If there is undeniable reason that there's a penny there or that we chose to go down a road and so happened to be a coin or a number or a sequence of events that took place and we think, I wonder why I went that way and then it becomes apparent that's the reason why because my loved one wanted me to get to that sign, then for me it brings comfort it brings joy, it brings reassurance, and it brings healing. And I work with a lot of parents that have children in the spirit world. And children are, um, just as in physical life, in life after, they're incredibly ingenious and creative about the ways that they communicate. And so signs are a lovely way that children communicate. And I know that they do do feathers and coins and cloud formats. It's not that they've created the cloud format or the feather or the coin. It's that they've influenced their loved one to look up or look down or look across and see the event that was happening anyway. And that's the special part that becomes really valuable and undeniable to the person that receives them. What happens is as that loved one here develops a sensitivity and becomes more curious, they begin to question, okay, so if you can do that, how about you let me hear you or let me sense you or let me feel you? And then we get into more um, creative ways where our loved ones can get in touch with us. I'd love the day where we don't need mediums. It might sound a strange thing, but I know you'll understand from a coaching perspective, is it would be wonderful if people could get to a point where there's such a sense of empowerment and trust that they don't need to go seeking external to themselves because there's just a sense of fulfillment happens within themselves. Yeah. And that's a difficult thing, isn't it? That development of trust, because, you know, we have a mind that tells us, oh, you know, it's quite cynical at times and might give us different messages. And so as the whole podcast, we're talking about trust in general. How do you support your clients build that muscle of trust within themselves? It's like coaching. It's like any journey. It takes time. And on that journey, similarly to those that have gone through a coaching process, there's a whole um, array of emotions that come up from elation when something goes right to complete depression when something just feels out out of reach or it's just taken longer than we need. And at that point, we would do the same reassurance with that same 
um, checking in with them and allowing them to see where they've come from and how far they've gone in their own journey and not to get um, focusing on, not to focus on the tiny blip that's happening, which can seem like a mountain at that time. And when they are looking for more, especially when people start their own spiritual development, everything in that first step is blissfulness. Everything's a gift. Everything's a treasure. Everything's a beautiful experience. And then once they've moved past that, they get into the real hard work, which is okay, how do I actually do this? Oh, I actually need to meditate every day. Okay, so I actually need to focus on my own spiritual development more often. I actually need to tender to my thoughts. I actually need to pay attention to my actions. And that's the point where accountability comes in. And if somebody wants to do that, then we can step in and allow them to track their progress. It's not easy, but nothing worthwhile having is ever easy. It's easy, you're right. But, but <laughs> the, the, what they have at the end is incredibly valuable. And I always look at it that we're all going to that unseen place, hopefully later rather than sooner. But every part of work I do spiritually unfolding myself now allows me to better understand that world when I get there. I'd hate, and somebody said to me, interestingly enough, they said, what if you get to that place and it's not what you believed it to be? And I said, well, I'm quite happy that I believed something. And if I get to that place and it's not as I thought it would be, then I'll continue this journey of learning. And I've had many contacts and communications from people I know and trust that are now in the spirit world where they've come back and said, it's not as I thought, it's very close to, but it's not as I thought. And the journey of learning continues. I, there are some, still some questions remain unanswered. Now to me, that's music to my ears because I don't want to get to the spirit world and find out that it's all just understanding and knowledge. I like a bit of a challenge. Yeah, well, that would be a bit boring, wouldn't it? I mean, you mentioned at the very beginning, you're sparking that curiosity and it does feel like everything is a lifelong journey and beyond. So I'm really interested on how you have built this trust in yourself because it's very important work that you do and I can imagine it has a real profound impact on all those that you work with. And so I'm kind of wondering how have you learned to trust yourself in the work that you do? It's not been easy for anybody that has um, had hard knocks in life. It's not easy, but it's very... Um, it's very easy sometimes to sit back and have that sense of woes me. Now there's a place for woes me, I've been there many times myself. But at some point for me, I had to step out and say, okay, nobody's gonna do this for me. I am either gonna be accountable for my own life or I'm going to forever be in the shadow of what could have been. So my part of my personality traits is to not be content with where I am. I'm always looking for something more. I'm always curious and I'm always um, setting myself challenges. Now, I can only speak from my own um, perspective. There have been times where I really just have spent probably longer periods of time than I should have being comfortable. Just going through the, the routine of daily life assuming that that is what I could do. I mean, I had an executive 
um, corporate job before this that I was very good at but it wasn't fulfilling but I just for a while thought well this could just be it and then my soul my spirit my inner being said and it got really restless and I knew it was time for change and I know that when uh, I hear people saying well I feel restless and I, I feel like saying to them well actually do you think it's maybe time for change? But they'll come to that realisation and make that step, and I did. Uh, I left my um, full-time job, studied in counselling, first of all, years ago, decided that wasn't exactly where I needed to be, and then joined yourself, took the full circle um, diploma in transformational coaching, and found that that empowering part taught me how to be accountable and responsible for myself and you and I have been on a journey together we as have. well <laughs> you've seen the shady parts of my journey you know the blips you know the tantrums that I've had but in that it is about standing tall and owning myself and I had to really take that deep look within and I probably spent the best part of 12 months in a deep reflective process really going back over everything I'd done before and thinking, okay, I thought I'd done that, I clearly haven't. And it's, Brenny Brown talks about the messy bit being in the middle, this was, it wasn't pleasant. But when things started to feel like I was back on track, and I have to differentiate back on track being different to being easy, because it wasn't easy, but I felt I was on purpose, I felt like I was back on track. And when I started to feel that, synchronicity started to happen. I stopped pushing, I stopped trying, I stopped wanting, because I realised that actually I'm a glass house, not for fear of people throwing stones, but actually the universe sees who I am. And so I'm kidding myself if I'm trying to be anything other than that. And when I accepted that actually I can draw the curtains but the truth still shines through and people can see that. When I stopped trying to be something, I realised I was actually trying to be the person I already was. And it just felt so um, easy to be in. It didn't make life easy, but for me it felt easier. And so I just went back and revisited, explored, journaled, um, did my meditation, did my inner reflections and got to know the inner part of me because my understanding is that I have soul qualities that are there from birth and they'll be there when I pass. My life will be fulfilled if I'm expressing those soul qualities and me just now, I'm absolutely expressing my soul qualities. Leadership, teaching, empowering, healing, embracing people and allowing them that journey so I know I say I go to work but in actual fact it doesn't feel like it feel like work no it doesn't sound it feels like work either at all you know what you've just described is something that actually many other people who I've chatted to on this podcast have also this described which is just I'll put it in my own words but that sense of letting go and just accepting and surrendering and that sense of synchronicity that just seems to everything then seems to align and in a way that for me 
I think we come home back to our true selves because all that stuff, as you've described, was already there. It's already there in your soul. It's just a case of reacquainting ourselves and, and bringing that back out and not, as you said, not being somebody that you're not really truly are. So amazing. Thank you. So obviously it feels, and we have been on a journey together, but it feels like your outlook has changed as you've evolved over the years. And I just wondered now, do you have any core principles or beliefs on how you now live your life, taking into consideration what you've just shared? I do. The first principle for me would be be mindful in the moment. And mindfulness is key to where anybody should be paying attention. And it's the easiest thing to do, but the most difficult thing to remember to do. And so when I get caught in the drama, my mind begins to question and get caught in things that are out with my control. I've got, not perfect, but I've got better at just calling that out from within myself and saying, okay, so in this moment, what are you mindful of? What's important? And I, I always said at the start of a year, and it's not to do with the um, New Year's resolution, but I always set an affirmation. And for me, the affirmation, and I know you have a similar principle, is about the thinking, the feeling, the writing and the speaking, but the believing in it. And when COVID hit, I set an affirmation of allowing me to still facilitate this kind of learning and growth in self and others. And I've not been disappointed. I sent that out to the universe and it's happened for me. So being mindful and grateful, that having grace for the moment and never taking anything for granted, they're easy words to say, but they're really difficult sometimes to notice in that moment of having that grace and that gratitude, not necessarily for life, but for myself, for the people around me, for the place I live, for the experiences I'm getting. And looking at everything as an opportunity that I could grow from as opposed to an opportunity that I need to fight or try and avoid or deflect from. It's about what can this experience teach me? How can I grow from it? And being true to myself, I've surrounded myself with people who are very honest with me, are very truthful with me and kind with it. I'm surrounded by people who have a similar outlook to me. I've found that people who created um, an imbalance in me just over time have left my circle of friends or their family I don't keep in contact with. It doesn't mean I love them any less, but I've just become more respectful of what hinders and what helps my own spiritual progression. and. The, the life has really transpired in a way that I'm living a truer life now on purpose. And that's another thing. I always have my eye on what my purpose is. If something doesn't feel like it's serving my purpose, I always check in on whether I'm willing to compromise things. And often I'm compromising, but it doesn't build a resentment because I'm aware of that compromise and I'm happy to do that. And that's done with the grace and the gratitude for having those people and experiences and places around about me. So it's probably about being more aligned and being more honest. Um, and I suppose doing what I love just encourages me and enables me 
to be very present. Now, don't get me wrong, I, it's not that I've got the perfect life and that it's easy without challenge, but everything just feels a little bit more aligned because everybody and everything around about me, I know can either bring an experience or assist me grow in some way. And that, I would imagine, like you said, you know, you've been doing work in, in this area and you've been building that appreciation for what you want and trusting yourself, you know, as you've been evolving more into this work and what you do now. But that takes courage, I think, deciding what's serving me, what's good for me versus perhaps what's draining me and how do I release myself from some of those things that are not working for me or not doing me any good. And I just wondered, what's your perspective on that? Would you agree? Do you think it does take courage and strength to do that? Commitment? On reflection, yes. In the moment, it didn't feel like courage or not all the time. At some points, it just felt like there was a natural instinct to do. And even though that was against the grain of what other people might perceive, I actually feel it was more trust. When I left the full-time employment, it was a very good job, paying a very good wage. I wasn't very happy though. So after a period of reflection about what do I want, stepped away from that, not really knowing what stood ahead. And I know I had a conversation with you that said, I have no clue what the future looks like, but it has to be better than where it was. And the secret that I, I don't know if it's a secret because I'm now going to share it and people will think it common sense. Every decision I made, I took the worst case scenario and the best case scenario and everything in between. And if I was happy with all of them, it felt like the right decision. So I had assessed um, about salary and money and um, income and friends and security. And I actually thought it needs to happen regardless of what the outcome is going to be. So there was a little bit of um, stubbornness, a little, probably a bit of courage, but actually it felt like I was working from a place of authenticity. It felt like I was working from a place of generosity of my spirit and a trusting in something greater than myself. Now that doesn't mean I expected everything on a plate because I know the world doesn't work like that. But I remember reading um, a book by Wayne Dyer where he said, when you're working on purpose, the money and the security will follow because that's the way the universe works in abundance. And I trusted in that. I absolutely trusted in that. There were times where I was hiding in a corner thinking, oh my goodness, what are you doing? And then I went back to that centre place of trust. And if things don't work the way you hope they do, you can cope with whatever next happens. And I got really good at managing the drama that happened in my mind. I used to get caught up in dramas. Um, I used to avoid things and deflect and all, all sorts of dancing around the issue. And now I recognize that no matter what happens, I can cope with it because I trust me and I trust my capacity to get through whatever comes, even though it feels like a massive, tall, long, wide wall. Through experience, I've used everything that I've gained and I haven't not been able to do anything. That shows me that when push comes to shove, I can do it. And that's what I love um, 
sharing with other people about what have you learned and knowing that I know these are words that you understand what could possibly go wrong and what would you do about it and the drama gets us out of that if we're not in the drama we can be in that space and again I'm not perfect at it but I'm better and we all have wobbles right you know and in those times then if you do have those wobbles and look drama comes we all know drama <laughs> comes even though we try hard sometimes not to but if you do have a wobble do you go back to that place of trust or is there anything else that you say to yourself to get yourself back on track if I haven't caught myself in the wobble that awareness of something happening I've got a beautiful husband that says what's this really about <laughs> Good question. And instantly, it creates. What I actually want to say is something very clever that deflects and avoids, but I know at my core, it's some of the best of intentions. And it might take me a little while. I'm not saying that immediately I'm able to focus in, but after a period of time that I'm able to do that reflective piece, and I might not find out what it's actually about, but I'm aware of being caught in the drama. There's also um, a, a process that I am aware of within myself where I find myself spending time just trying to be avoidant. Like I'll find myself on my phone or I'll find myself distracted by something else. And then a little voice in my mind goes, what on earth are you doing? Is this how you want to be using this moment? Often, if I choose, yes, but often it's not how I actually want to be spending that moment. It's just because I've got caught in a wobble and I've just gone to my go-to place. Yeah, I have very similar experiences of my go-to place too. And I think it's a really good question to ask yourself. And so if you haven't got a husband like Kerry's, then definitely ask that question because I think it's a really good one to ask. So the final question I've got for you is... If somebody is looking for that bigger, deeper connection, either with self or with that sense of something beyond this world, what advice would you give them? Go within, and then I'll explain what that is. <laughs> There's a lot of people look out with for validation from other people, for mediums to give them readings, for friends to give them advice, for... Um, out external things to make them feel good and there's a place for all of that I suppose but when we have a sense of spiritual connectedness it's because there's a space within ourselves that feels empty now not all of the time but a lot of the time that I work with people that empty space comes from there being a lack of a connection in some way and that lack of a connection is um, one of the philosophers, I think it's Socrates, said that the, gap, the space inside is caused by the gap from being distant from God. Now, what he meant as God, what I mean as God, or what anybody else thinks is that, think of it as a creative force of life or a universal force, whatever makes the world easier to understand, not feeling connected to that can create a lack. And often people will try and generate um, something to fill that lacking and so we go searching for things to make us look good or feel good. The journey of within self is, is very much about 
who am I? What do I want from life? So we need to be clear on that. What am I willing to do to get that? And how committed and dedicated am I to that process? And as we get dedicated and committed to that process, we become much more aware of things that take us off tangent or distract us away from where we want to be going. So if we've got a purpose in mind, then everything takes us towards that, every decision, every thought, every mindset. I often say to myself about it's not my mindset often, it's my heart set. It's about what in my heart is stopping me doing it because I know my mind wants to go there, but something in my willingness isn't there. So when I've wanted to go and find that truism, I have to be very clear about what my heart set is and my willingness. So I would say to somebody, know what it feels like to be lacking and know what it feels like to be in a space of so things like meditation, walking, um, being present, having really fulfilling conversations with people, having fulfilling relationships with people, talking from the adult conversation, working from a really centered place and knowing where we, knowing where that feeling space is within ourselves I'm working from there and if somebody's looking for guidance on that then there's plain if you go on the internet there's so many lovely things out there. there's so many different and weird things out there too but there's all sorts of people so what's right for me isn't right for them go and find maybe a, a, a CD or a, a talk or look at the modern um, spiritual teachers, the Wayne Dyers, the uh, Marianne Williamson, the um, Deepak Chopra, the, and find what resonates with you. And when you find something, stick with it and allow yourself to really take it in and feel what happens down in that feeling space, that place we feel joy. And I get people saying, well, where is that? And I say, well, picture either the pet the child or the loved one that makes you smile inside. Some people need to hold a puppy or a kitten or hold a child or hug their loved one. And where that they feel that warm emotion, that's their feeling space. And that's the space that they can really go to to find out their intuition, their gut feeling. That's all that is, is being in touch with that and trusting it as far mm. as possible. What amazing advice. So much there. Thank you. And I think what, well, I just want to say thanks, first of all, for the conversation, because it's been lovely to hear what you've been sharing. And it's been a really, I would say for me, a very enriching conversation. And I'm sure that those that are listening will feel equally the same. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge, Kerry. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review and subscribe to be notified 
each week of new episodes. Until next time, stay well. Invite joy and curiosity into your life. See you soon.